The message this morning is entitled, Jesus, Sinai, or Zion. Um, those mountains are the ones that are referred to in this passage. And so those mountains are the ones that uh, help us to grasp the message that God has for us this morning. I want to pray for us because the Spirit of God is the one who teaches us what his word means for us today. Each one of you has something to hear from God this morning, and I want you uh, to make sure you don't refuse it, that you hear it with your spiritual ears. So let's pray that God would open up our hearts. Father God, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it's mysterious to us, and we need a teacher, and you are so good. You gave us your Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us in your word. May your word enter into our lives today and cause a transformation, a change, something that we need and you know we need this morning. Thank you for our daily bread. Help us to receive it from you this morning, to partake in it, to be nourished by it, and to be changed as we grow in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we have just spent uh, months and months and months in the book of Hebrews. We are um, in chapter 12 now, but we spent a lot of time in chapter 11 because in chapter 11, there's a whole bunch of Old Testament people that were mentioned to us. If you go back and look over that, you see like the stories uh, of, of the Old Testament saints and how they walked by faith. But in our passage this morning, um, Esau was not one of those names in chapter 11. Esau is mentioned in our passage this morning as one who did not live by faith. As an example, we should not follow. So I want us to focus a little bit on him this morning. Uh, You see, uh, Esau was a man who lacked faith in God. So he made all his choices based on the physical, on the things that he could touch, the things that he could smell, the things that he could taste. And so uh, we want to be able to grow in our knowledge of God and to be able to walk in the spirit, not in the physical. We already know what it is to live in a physical body and to have physical desires and physical wants. We need to grow in our spiritual life to understand how God wants us to live. You see, we used to make all of our choices based on the physical, what we could touch, what we could see, what we could feel, what we could hear even what we could taste. This is how we were before we were born again of the spirit. But then God gave us a new life. He gave us his spirit to guide us and to help us to grow. This is actually how the whole world makes its choices. The whole world without God makes its choices basically on what it can see, what it can touch, what it can feel, constantly trying to guess and figure out what they should be doing, how they should be doing it. They work harder. They say they work smarter. Uh, they, they do their best to gain all that they can, all the pleasure in this life that this life has to offer. But they have no guarantees of any life after death. They say it's a mystery. They say nobody knows. But believers in Jesus Christ know, and they're different than those who live in the world and according to this world's system. Because God gave us his word. He gave us his son and he gave us his word to help guide us. And we are to walk by faith in God's promises and in his word. We walk by faith and hope for eternity. 
for a life beyond this life. Because for many people, this life isn't so great. They need hope for a life beyond this life. Because as Hebrews 11 one says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Being certain of what we do not see. That's what I want us to leave here this morning with. A certainty. Knowing that we know that we know that we know that what God has told us is true and God will fulfill all of his promises. Do you want that this morning? Do you want that confidence in God that nothing can shake? So those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, it says in this passage, they have not come to a physical kingdom. This was the confusion even around Jesus' life and death back in the first century, right? Is that the disciples were expecting a physical kingdom. And so they wanted Jesus to come and get rid of Rome, which was the occupier, you know, get rid of Rome and set up his physical kingdom. Jesus came to do something very different than that. He came to set up his spiritual kingdom, to be followed by his physical kingdom one day. So those who put their faith in Christ now don't have all the physical evidence that our five senses crave and want. Our five senses are the things that, that, that are constantly looking for input, right? If you look at this passage, they're comparing these two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, Mount Sinai being the physical and Mount Zion, Mount Zion being the spiritual. So it says in verse 18, we don't come to a mountain that can be touched. So the mountain that Jesus leads us to isn't one that we can right now touch, right? Not one that can be touched. But in the Old Testament, Moses led the people to Mount Sinai, which could be touched. And they were warned not to touch. He led them to a mountain that was burning with fire. With a cloud, a dark cloud and gloom and a storm and trumpets which were blasting and a voice that was speaking, verse 18 and 19 say. So all of these things are part of seeing and feeling and touching and experiencing God that those in the Old Testament got to be a part of. Esau is mentioned because he's a man who lived in, in, in only believed in what he could see. How do we know this? If you, turn, if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, in Genesis chapter 25 is the reference to this passage in Hebrews. In Genesis 25, it says that um, Jacob and Esau, they're brothers, they're twin brothers actually, Jacob and Esau um, had this exchange. And this is what this exchange is, is mentioned here. Um, Jacob actually was at home. He was a homebody. He liked to stay home. He was making a stew, it says one day. And his brother Esau, who was, who was a great hunter, was out hunting. He must have been out for a long time in the open country, it says. When he came back to his home where Jacob was in the kitchen making a stew, Esau came in from the open country, it says in, in Genesis 25, verse 29. And he said, quick, let me have some of that red stew, right? I am famished. I am famished. I'm starving, right? He's so hungry. 
Now, Jacob, Jacob, his brother, there's a whole study around, you know, why, why he did this. But basically, he said, first, sell me your birthright. Now, I don't know why that was the first thing on his mind, but Jacob wanted to be the firstborn, and he was the secondborn twin. There's a big advantage to being born as the firstborn in this ancient culture. Everything is inherited by you, and then you disperse it to your family. You take care of your family. But everything that his father had would be passed down to the firstborn. Jacob obviously didn't like that, and it was on his mind. And so the first thing that he could think of when his brother Esau asked for that bowl of soup was, first give me your birthright. Esau responds, look, I am about to die. What good is a birthright to me? I am about to die. He's so hungry, he can feel it. His stomach is grumbling. He can smell the delicious food before him. But he can't have it until his brother gives it to him. That's sort of like the marshmallow, right? Can't have it until the teacher says you can have it. It's right there. It's right there. He can smell it. He can sense it. He can see it with his eyes. He, 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 he wants to experience it. He wants to taste it. What good is a birthright to me? So the birthright will not be given until his father dies. His father at this point was still alive. So that wasn't going to help him not be so hungry, having a birthright. What good is a birthright to me, he says. But Jacob says, swear this to me first. So Esau swore to him, selling his birthright to Jacob, his younger brother, for a bowl of soup. Now, I don't know how big the bowl was, but it wasn't worth all of his inheritance. You can only fit so much in a bowl. And once it's gone, it's gone, right? It's not going to last forever. His inheritance could last forever if he continued to invest and continue to do well and continue to take care of his flocks and take care of his land. He could live on that forever for his whole earthly existence. You can't live on a bowl for more than a day. Maybe if it was a really good stew, you might last 24 hours. But after that 24 hours, guess what? You've digested that thing. It's gone, and you need more. You need more. So the immediate gratification is not followed up with any gratification at all. You're still going to be hungry tomorrow. And you're going to be hungry the day after that. And you're going to be hungry the day after that. But a birthright would have taken care of a whole life of hunger would have provided for everything that you and your family needed. And he says, what good is a birthright to me? The last words in that chapter of Genesis 25 says, so Esau, he despised his birthright. He thought it was worthless to him. Why is this brought up in this chapter, in in these chapters on faith? Because faith isn't about what I can touch and taste and feel at this moment. In fact, if you remember, the preacher of the book of Hebrews to that first congregation was preaching to his people because they were going through some persecution. They were going through some hard times. There was some deprivation going on. There were some things that they didn't have that they wished they had. And so they were struggling. And he's warning them, don't sell out for something that will not last. Hold on to what will last forever, their relationship with Jesus Christ. So these two mountains, Mount Sinai, 
which is described as the mountain that they can't touch, the mountain that's, that's full of fire and noise and, and the presence of God in a, in a mighty way, versus Mount Zion. What do these two mountains have to do with inheritance? Well, Mount Zion is eternal. Mount Sinai is of this world. It's temporary. The inheritance and its blessing is so much better than the temporary experience at a mountain one day. But it's future. It's in the future. It's unseen at the moment, like the birthright. It's unseen. I don't have the evidence of it. The revelation of God on Mount Sinai... The Old Testament law, the temple, the sacrifices, the rituals, everything that we've been reading about over these several months, the the priesthood, all of these things were temporary. They're of this world. They don't last forever. There's an eternal temple. There's a holy of holies. There's a place in heaven. But this world is a temporary existence for us. We're traveling through it to get to the eternal. What was happening here for these early believers is they had left Judaism with its temple, which was still being used, not for much longer, for only a few more years, actually, before the Romans actually destroyed it. But it was still functioning at this moment when they're hearing this sermon. The temple was tempting to them because it was familiar. They could go to it. They could touch it. They could smell the sacrifices as they were being burned. They could hear the worship that was going on there. They could experience it with their five senses. But they'd been called to something greater by faith. Something that was greater than the earthly temple. Something that would last beyond the Roman occupation and the Roman destruction. They had been called to Zion. To Mount Zion. You see, the temple, the, the, the Jewish temple, which was still in existence in Jerusalem, where these Hebrews lived, could be seen, it could be touched, they could even smell the sacrifices from it. It was visible. But this whole book has proven to them that it's inferior. It's inferior. The temporary experience of temple worship is inferior to Jesus, to worshiping Christ, to being among thousands and thousands of angels, as the scripture says. To see what Jesus has promised and the way in which Jesus has opened is way better than anything this world has to offer, is a basic paraphrase. I want you to see on Mount Sinai what was actually going on. So we'll go through these one by one. But basically, in that experience, in Exodus 19, if you want to look it up, in Exodus 19, verse uh, 16 through 19, it talks about there was lightning. They could see the lightning, right? They could see the cloud. They could even see the, 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 the glow from the fire on Mount Sinai. They could hear the trumpets, They could hear the thunder. They even heard the voice of God as Moses spoke to him and God spoke back. It says in that passage that they heard a voice from heaven. They obviously could smell the smoke from the fire, right? So all of their senses and even earthquakes that were happening. The ground was shaking. That's why we talk about shaking by the end of this passage. There was a shaking going on. 
God was there setting up his earthly kingdom. As an example, as a, as a, as a small model, you know, as, as like, a, a, you know, when they make these, these skyscrapers or they make even, a, even a, a, a new kind of building, they'll make a model of it. That building is not what they're going to live in, not what people are going to buy apartments or condos in. It's just a model of it. It's temporary until they get the real thing built. And people actually invest money in the model. You can come and they'll have an open house, maybe some cheese, maybe some wine. And they'll say, look, you could live on the 12th floor of this beautiful, you know, beachside condominium, Diane. All you got to do is give me $12,000 tonight and $12,000 a day for the rest of your life. And you can live there, you know. So, you, you, but you'll invest in something that's, that's visible. But if they don't show you what it's going to look like, they don't show you like how it'll, how it'll feel, you know, when you live in that luxurious beachside community. If they don't show you that, you're like, eh, yeah, 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 I don't want nothing to do with it. So our, our, our visual, our tactile experience often leads us in a particular direction. And we're willing to invest in that. As God came down to set up his model kingdom with his model people and his model temple, with the model sacrifices... They weren't the real thing. They were just a model that was going to be replaced by God's ultimate building, God's heavenly city, God's heavenly temple, and his throne. And so the the author of Hebrews is trying to remind them that what they got in Jesus is way better than anything that came before, anything that this world could offer. You see, these sensory events filled with impressive manifestations of God's power did not produce faith in God, faith in God's people. These things, even though they could see them, we often think like, oh, if I could just see God, if he would just show up for a moment, I'd be completely convinced that he's real. They got to see him in a sense, on that mountain. They got to feel it. They got to smell it. They got to see it. They got to hear it. And yet, after that, next slide, after they had that that great experience, they did not have faith in their hearts, in God. They did not worship God with awe and with wonder. Even though, because we often say, oh, if I lived in those times, if I lived in those times, I'd be smarter than those disciples. If I lived in those times, I'd be smarter than those Old Testament saints. No, you wouldn't. You're just like them, you know? They got to see Jesus do a miracle. You say, oh, if I could just see Jesus do a miracle, I'd have great faith. No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because look what happens right after this in Exodus 32, right after this event where they were at Mount Sinai, after all of that evidence, those things they could feel and sense and touch and smell, they grumbled and rebelled against God, it says, and they built a golden calf to worship. So all the things that you think will convince you or convince your loved ones, maybe sometimes you just want people to come to Christ so bad, you're like, God, just do a miracle so they'll know that you're real. Jesus did all those miracles in his lifetime, and those Pharisees still refused to, to believe in him. Now, simple people believed in him, but those who were greatly educated, those who are great, you know, religious people, they refused him, and they saw the miracles. They actually did trials and said, who healed you? And they said, well, that Jesus guy from Galilee. What? 
you know? And they still didn't believe in him. So we often think the wrong way. We think that faith comes from seeing. Seeing. But faith doesn't come from seeing. Faith comes from believing, trusting in God. So what we really need is the faith to believe in God's promises. We don't need to see all the evidence here and now. We need to trust that what God says is real. What God has promised will be given. And that his love for us will bring it all together in an amazing way. What we see on Mount Zion, we'll go through these quickly here. What we, meet, what we see on Mount Zion is here in this passage as well. So we see what they saw on Mount Sinai. But on Mount Zion, in, in verse 22, it says, so we don't come to a mountain like that. We don't come to a mountain with smoke and fire and trumpets and voice and all of that. We come to Mount Zion. Now, some people get confused and say, well, Mount Zion must be uh, Calvary, must be like the Jerusalem you know, of, of old. Mount Zion is what we're still waiting for. We are still headed to Mount Zion. That's the journey that we're on. Mount Zion is mentioned, if you want to flip over in your Bibles to Revelation uh, chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, almost to the very end of God's revelation to his people. Only one more chapter after that, that's 22, and then the end. That's the end of, the, of your Bible, right? In Revelation 21... It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And there was no longer any sea, any ocean. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have now passed away. That's Mount Zion. That's Mount Zion. That's what we're headed for. So in, in this passage, it talks about the heavenly Jerusalem. It talks about Mount Zion is the city of the living God, number two. Number three is where there's joyful angels in the thousands upon the thousands, it says here. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. What is that going to be like? This is the thing that, like, you got to have some imagination here, right? Because we're not seeing that right now. I can't see that. I can't prove that to you. I don't have a picture of it. All we got is this revelation that God gave to, to the apostle which he said, write it down so that my people will have hope and they will know what is in store for them. I can't wait to be among thousands and thousands of angels. It's going to be like cool. I don't know what it's like, but it's going to be cool. I just know it, you know? The joyful sound of angels. This is the church of the firstborn, the passage goes on to say in Hebrews. The church of the firstborn, well, Christ is the firstborn, right? He's our eldest brother. So he's the firstborn. So this is a church of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Now it says, you've come to God. He's brought you to God, the judge. Now we could talk about judgment. Do you remember where your sin went? Oh yeah, 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 on the cross, right? 
Your sin has gone to the cross where God judged it in Christ. And then Christ paid the price for your sin. So judgment has taken place and the punishment has been given. And now you are given forgiveness, Christ's righteousness in place of your sin. So when you see the judge, you're all set. Jesus has done what needed to be done for you to be set free, for you to walk into your whole new life in heaven. There are those who refuse Christ's sacrifice, refuse to walk in the knowledge of Jesus. They will be judged. They will have to account for their sin. But those in Christ come in already cleansed, already set free, already walking in the fullness of God. Now, we don't always feel that. We still feel some of the craziness that's going on in this world. But this is the truth of Scripture. So you walk into the presence of the judge, but you walk in boldly with no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. This is why in Romans 8, it says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ already took that for you. Hallelujah. That's the good news of the gospel, right? So you walk into, so look at this phrase. I hope you're following along here. We're in, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. I know I jumped around to Revelation a little bit. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Righteous men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, made perfect. How are we made perfect? I just described that to you. Through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's hard to imagine ourselves as perfect, but God already has us there because he sees Christ in you. He's put you in Christ. And so you are one of those people who has been made perfect. In verse 24 of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, to Jesus, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, Abel, go way back to the very beginning again. Adam and Eve had two boys, actually three, but these two, these were, this was where the trouble was initially. Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. It says, Abel's blood cried out, cried out for justice. Right? Cain was punished by God. If you go and read through that account, punished by God. But Jesus' blood, even though we have sinned like Cain has sinned, Jesus' blood cries out, forgive them, Father. They know not what they're doing. Give them my righteousness. Give them my spirit. Jesus' blood is so different than, Cain, than, than Abel's and what Cain had to endure because of his murderous ways. Even though we, like all, have fallen short of God's glory, we've all sinned, God has given us his son and the forgiveness of sins. And through the blood of Jesus, we cry forgiven. We are forgiven. And so it cries out a better story, a better word for us. So this, this mediator, his blood, n- number eight on the list, go back to the list for just a moment. 
Number eight on the list is that his blood actually has brought us that forgiveness. Cain's, Abel's blood brought Cain punishment. But ours has been taken on the cross. This is the good news of the gospel. So the reason that we can draw near in worship is that Jesus has offered himself as the sacrifice of sins. We draw near to God. We come into his presence boldly, uh, Hebrews says. We, we enter in through the blood of the lamb. Not on our own accord, not because of what we've done. If it was based on what we've done, we could never stand. We would be destroyed in God's presence because we need that punishment to be making things right. The justice of God. Because he is a good judge. So God's spiritual kingdom, it says in this passage, cannot be shaken. Everything else will be shaken. Let's read those verses again because it's a long passage this morning. Everything else will be shaken, but his kingdom will not be shaken. It will remain. So we're given this invitation. Every man and woman Every living person is given this invitation to receive from God his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. And we're warned in verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Jesus speaks forgiveness over you. Jesus speaks grace. Jesus speaks mercy. Don't don't refuse that. Don't say, I don't need that. Don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let your ignorance get in the way. Find out what Jesus has done for you and receive that because once you enter into that kingdom, that spiritual kingdom that God has made Jesus king over, that will not be shaken. That cannot be changed when you walk in the fullness of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is about. It's got all kinds of imagery and all kinds of different things going on, but but he's using this this process that the Old Testament saints went through and then what Jesus has come and fulfilled and what we have still waiting for us in the future to remind us that the spiritual things are the permanent things. The things you can't see are the permanent things and everything else is temporary. It's backwards in our thinking, but if you think about it, really, is it? Let's just talk about men and women, boys and girls. Humans. We could talk about animals as well. We could even talk about trees if we want to. But living things. Living things on this earth. Are they permanent or are they temporary? Temporary, right? So you can plant a beautiful garden. You may have spent hours and hours tilling the soil and, you know, doing all that work over, you know, April, May, June, July, August, September, even October. It was a warm month. But now we're into November, All the trees are shedding their leaves. All the garden vegetables are rotting or you picked them up already, right? It's temporary. Our lives here, you might live to be 100. You might live to be 110. I think I heard of someone who's 115, but you don't live much longer than that. Temporary. So the message for the Hebrews and the message for us is, and, and the reason why it's encouraging to them is because they're going through a hard time. They're going through some persecution. They're going through some deprivation, but it's temporary. 
And the kingdom that they've entered through their faith in Jesus Christ is permanent. Nothing can shake it. Nothing can shake it. It says here, once more, so in the future, once more in the future, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This is, this is prophecy, right? We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things. Removing created things. If we remove created things, what's left? Come on. Anybody? If we, if we remove created things, what's left? Spiritual things. Things that are eternal. Things that God created that are not, that are, that are not of this world or even of this universe. He says the heavens because he's talking about the other planets. If God removes all that, the permanent soul of men and women, boys and girls, will remain. Your body may be gone, but your spirit, your soul, still exists. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the spirit. God created you in his image, so you're also spiritual. We only think of the physical because we live in this crazy world that everything is physical. Physical, physical, everything is physical. I mean, they write songs about it. It's so crazy. I know it's a really old song. You'll have to look it up. But, I mean... It's all about the physical. But the thing about the physical is it's just temporary. The bowl of soup will be empty. And what will you have left? Your body will finally break down and be dead. And what will you have left? Your spirit, your soul. If you're a believer, you'll have the Holy Spirit as well, guiding you through that process. If you're an unbeliever, your spirit, your soul, it's not like it's just going to cease to exist. Like they, they tell themselves. They tell themselves things to give them peace because they wouldn't be able to sleep at night if they knew their refusal of Jesus Christ meant they were invited to spend eternity in hell. They don't want that. They don't want that. They don't want to believe that. They don't want to believe God's word. But Jesus said this interesting thing. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So whatever Jesus has said is true will always be true. Whatever the current culture, whatever the current philosophies are that say that are true are not always going to be true. Eventually, they'll be proven false. It doesn't matter if a billion people believe it or seven billion people believe it. What God says is true is true. What man says is true is temporary until someone comes up with a better idea, a new model, a latest invention, a new and improved, right? That's all we ever do is we new and improved, you know, it's almost Christmas time, so you've got to look at all your stuff you got last Christmas and say, I need new stuff. Let's say that together. I need new stuff. That's what they want us to do. Every year, I need new stuff. Because my old stuff is now old. I need the new improved one. Did you see the new model? You see the new model car? You see the new model watch? Did you see the new model everything? New, new, new. Improved, improved, improved. Guess what? It's only temporary. And one day, it will cease to exist. And when it ceases to exist, you will still exist. 
your spirit and your soul will still exist. Do you know that truth? Because the world is screaming a bunch of alternatives to that. But that's the word of God. He'll shake it all out like a rug. You know, there's a lot of dirt in there. He's going to shake, shake, shake until all the dirt and dust is out of that rug. And what is left is his eternal kingdom. Where will you be at that day? Where will you be in that hour? Where will your loved ones be on that day and in that hour? I pray that they find themselves in Christ, fully protected, fully provided for, fully loved in Christ on that day. This is our message for the world today. They have no hope. They make up crazy stuff. Like Martians are going to come and take us away. And, you know, just, just don't go on the internet, but go on the internet. Just prove me right, right? There's all kinds of crazy ideas about the afterlife. They call it the afterlife, right? After this life, there's eternal life. This is what we're called to hold firm to. That Jesus is the way to an eternal life in Zion, in Mount Zion, with God, the living God. The God who has already judged our sin and already declared us innocent because of Christ. The God who provides this environment where there can be no more tears, no more sadness, no more death, no more grief, because that's the result of sin. That's the punishment of sin. And if we've been cleansed from sin and now we live in this new heaven and new earth where there is no sin, there can't be those things. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? It's almost too good to be true, right? It's almost like... Am I crazy if I believe that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Many other people might think so. So faith, we have this definition again. Elvin, put it up. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Can we read that together? Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I'm going to turn to the gospel of Mark. I love to turn to the, the words of Jesus because it helps to solidify some of these things. He, he's such a master teacher. In Mark chapter 9, there's a dad who's concerned about his son. There's there's this spiritual thing that's going on that throws him into the fire and that type of thing. And the disciples tried to help him. But I don't want to focus on that right now. What I want to focus on is the condition of the father and what Jesus says to him. So Jesus comes and says, you know, how long has your son been this way? And the father describes that in, in, in Mark 9, verse 22. And then, and then the father says, you know, so please take pity... If you can do anything for my son, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus picks up on those words, if you can. And I don't know if he said it like, if you can. 
because I might have said it that way. <laughs> you know who I am, right? If you can help us, right? I don't know if that's how he said it, so I'm going to be careful with the interpretation. If you can, question mark, Jesus says. And then he says this, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Wait, you either believe or you don't believe. Eh, not so sure. I think you can believe, but you need to believe more and more and more and more and more. That's where I'm at in my life, people. And I've been a believer for a long time. But I keep asking God, increase my faith. Help me believe more in the words of Jesus, more in the promises of God. And I pray that for you too. God, I know they believe. Otherwise, they'd be in bed right now at home. Right? They believe enough to get them sorry butts out of bed into church. But help their unbelief. Because there are areas in our life... Obviously, it's possible. There's areas that we can believe and then areas that are like, ooh, that's, that's a big step there. That's a, that's a big one, right? And what Jesus says is everything is possible to him who believes. Everything. He doesn't say some stuff. Maybe on Mondays, maybe on Fridays. Everything, every day is possible for him who believes. That doesn't mean you can create your own universe and be your own God or whatever. That's not what it says. Right? Everything that God has promised to you through Jesus Christ is real and is possible for you to believe. So God, help our unbelief. That's where we're at. We need to begin to understand that there's a, there's a process going on, that God is taking us from faith to more faith, and from more faith to even more faith. And as we grow in that faith, we begin to see more of what God is doing in his invisible kingdom. That is invisible now, but not forever. And what is visible now is not forever. Do you believe? Just shake your head a little bit if you dare. Do you believe? Do you believe? I, I believe too. And I believe you believe. There may be a few in here who don't believe anything yet. But you're here. So you believe something. Hopefully you weren't threatened to be here at gunpoint. But you believe something. Faith the size of a mustard seed is the beginning of great faith. I believe you got a mustard seed. Some of you got, believe me, you got more faith than I got, right? So, so, but, but even if you're the least among us, you got a mustard seed of faith. What we want to pray is that God would water that seed and help it to grow so that we go from little faith to a little more faith to a little more faith. And we begin to see with our spiritual eyes the kingdom of God before us. You as members of his kingdom and his family, walking in faith together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus makes that possible. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. 
It's challenging this morning. This is a big passage. There's a lot in there. But we know that your spirit can teach us what we need to hear this morning. And Lord, we believe. Help us to believe more. As we turn and we leave this place, help our belief to grow even more. Throughout this week, as we pray and as we meditate and as we think about your word, help us to grow even more. God, it's possible. I know it is. So we thank you for Jesus who made it possible. He opened the way for us to move from this world into the next and to live with you in that perfect place called Mount Zion. So we praise you today. Let's sing this song together as our final song this morning.